Morning. Well, my son uh, got sick this uh, past uh, few days. My daughter sick before him, and we were looking around, Mal- Mallory, not Amelia, we were looking around thinking, what's going on? This is summer. Why are, we, why are our children getting sick in the summertime? And uh, like always, we, we do certain things when our children get sick. We, we do the same thing just about every parent does. We, we pause and we kind of evaluate the situation. We try to figure out what's going on. Are they really sick or are they just kind of faking it a little bit? Uh, secondly, we, we seek out you know, some appropriate medical advice or care. Uh, my wife is often on the phone with uh, Colleen Bacon, the nurse in the church, uh, to, to try and figure out what to do. And she's, she's uh, always checking out uh, different remedies and ways in which she can treat Bennett or Mallory. And, and then we, we administer the medicine, we administer the remedy, we, uh, we try to do something that will be constructive for Bennett or Mallory when they're sick. And finally, we, we pray to God for healing. In fact, Bennett is getting so accustomed to this that uh, he'll sit there on the couch with blankets over his head and he'll say, you know, pray, pray for healing, Dad. Pray that God would heal me now. And, and so we'll pray for him and we'll, uh, we'll lay our hands on him and ask God to heal him. And for many of us, uh, that's what we all do uh, when we're sick. We take stock of the situation, we get medical advice, we administer medicine where appropriate, and we pray. Interestingly enough, the Bible suggests that there are certain circumstances in which another factor must be considered in the treatment of a very sick individual. You might call it another kind of medicine, a scriptural kind of remedy. James 5 speaks of this seldom used but highly effective spiritual prescription. It is... The Confession of Sins. The title of my message today is Healing Checklist. Medicine, Prayer, and Confession? Turn in your Bible to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Would you all stand with me as we read from James chapter 5 beginning in verse 12? James chapter 5 beginning in verse 12 and continuing to the end of the chapter and the end of the epistle. James writes, James 5.12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a, with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know 
that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Heavenly Father, Lord, guide us now as we consider your word on the topic of healing, on the topic of confession, on the topic of prayer. Let us be open and sensitive to your word as we consider these matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many who teach the final uh, thoughts in James chapter 5 would begin in verse 13, not in verse 12. But verse 12 sets the stage for the kind of perspective that James wants his readers to have as they go through life. In particular, James wants his readers and the Christians whom he's writing to to be bluntly honest in all they say and do. And so we read in verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. My daughter Mallory loves uh, to color. In particular, she loves to color with markers. She colors with markers all over the place. She colors uh, her, her little picture books. She'll open up her princess picture books and spend hours coloring her princesses. She'll grab a, a piece of construction paper and put it out on the table and she'll start coloring the construction paper. She'll look at our couch and walk over to it and start coloring on the couch with markers. She'll look at our carpet and find it to be a very fascinating place to color all over with markers. She loves it so very much to color with markers. And she did a really nice job a couple weeks ago coloring the couch. It looked just beautiful when she was through. Now the thing is, Casey and I have told Mallory time and again, Mallory, Mallory, you cannot color on the carpet. Mallory, you cannot color on the couch. You have to just color on your picture books, not the couch. And sure enough, time and time again, we see purple and pink markers all over the couch. And so inevitably, I walk up to my daughter and I say, Mallory, did you color on the couch? No. Mallory, is that the truth? No, I, I didn't. I promise. Bennett, did you color on the couch with pink and purple markers? Huh? Never mind. Mommy, did you color on the couch with pink and purple markers? No, Daddy, I didn't. Mallory, did you color on the couch? Yes, I did. We always tell our children that if they tell us the truth, when they do wrong, their punishment will always be less severe. But if they lie to us, then there will be more consequences. So it is with God to us. God says in verse 12, through James the Apostle, He teaches us in verse 12 that honesty 
should always be our policy. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. But once you start swearing by heaven and earth, oh, I'll promise, I promise I'll be home in 20 minutes. Oh, I I swear, I swear I'll pay those bills tomorrow. Once you start swearing by heaven or by earth, you open yourself up for hypocrisy and verse 12 indicates judgment. Judgment? Yes, judgment. James is actually setting the stage for a discussion about overcoming the judgment of God. And one of the easiest ways to overcome God's judgment, to avoid His discipline, to to shun off His chastisement, is to live honestly, openly, to be honest in our speech, to be honest toward others, to be honest with ourselves. Self-evaluation is in order. And as we evaluate our lives and the circumstances surrounding them, James has some words of wisdom for us. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now these statements in verse 13 are to be read through the lens of James wanting us to be honest with ourselves. Honest about our life circumstances. In in verse 13, James asks us to pause and consider our life and say, how am I? How am I feeling? Am I suffering? Then James says, pray. Am I cheerful? James says, sing psalms. With respect to suffering, there are many people who deny their inward suffering. They ignore it. They push it down. They've been hurt or they've experienced a hardship and they respond with indifference. They pretend it doesn't affect them. Some people choose to drink away their sorrows or to medicate. James says, be honest in your self-appraisal. If you're suffering, admit it. Admit it to God. Admit it to your spouse. Admit it to a trusted friend and pray Pray for relief. Pray for healing. Pray for reconciliation. Some of us, some of us in this audience, no doubt, some of us within our own Coast family have things in our past that no one knows. Things that have caused us suffering for perhaps years. James says in verse 13, he says, stop denying it. Face it. Give it to God. Pray and ask Him for help. Honesty will reap blessing. But denying it will only increase the consequences of our suffering. Pause. Consider your life. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Great. Say so to God. Sing psalms and praises to Him. Never hide or conceal your joy. I know some of us who who try to mask our happiness or or mask our joy because we we see others around us and we think, well, we don't want to... you know, offend them by how joyful we are, or we don't want, we know they're going through such a hard time, so we don't want them to see how happy and content and blessed we are. But joy is contagious. Let it show in your demeanor and speech. It will have a positive effect on those around you. The whole book of James is about having joy in the midst of trials. So teach your brother, teach your sister how to have joy in the midst of hardship. Count it all joy 
when you face various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. In verse 12 and verse 13, James is setting the stage. He's laying the table for a theme of honest self-appraisal. Honest expression. Not just uh, to others, but toward the Lord and to yourself. If you're suffering, admit it. If you're cheerful, praise God. And now James mentions one other thing in verse 14, the main topic of this message. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Are you sick? James asks. Call for the elders. Is this any sickness that James is speaking about? Any old common cold? Uh, or, or, you know, are there limits to this kind of sickness? Well, it's hard to say. It's probably likely the case that James is speaking about more severe illness. Something that is grave. Something that is severe or serious. Why, why might we think that? Well, in verse 15 it mentions the Lord raising up the sick person. Indicating that the person perhaps was so seriously ill, they were, they were very infirmed in bed. So here we have James advising us to be honest again in self-evaluation, and when we find ourselves battling serious illness, we should seek out help. Not just from a physician, not just from modern medicine, but he says from the elders. And the elders are to come to that individual and pray for him, anointing him with oil as a symbol of reliance on the Holy Spirit of God. Will their prayers work? Well, that depends, James says. Depends on a couple things. Number one, it depends on the prayer of faith by the elders in verse 15. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, which is to say a prayer with great fervency, with great earnestness, with great passion and reliance upon the Lord. The elders who are going to lay hands on someone and anoint them with oil need to be men who are believing in the Lord for what they ask. The prayer of faith is a prayer that can save the sick. But it's not just the elder's prayer that the healing is contingent upon. It's also contingent upon another element, and it's mentioned in the start of verse 16. It's contingent upon honest confession by the sick individual. Let me say that again. Serious illness and the healing of it is often contingent upon not just the prayer of faith of an elder, of the elders, but also, secondly, on the confession of sin by a very sick individual. I want to be clear. Yes, James is drawing a connection between serious illness and sin. Now, that is not, not at all to suggest that all who are gravely ill must necessarily have a sin problem. That's not what James is suggesting, nor is that what the Bible teaches. 
In fact, there are a number of instances which teach just the opposite. If you were to turn to John chapter 9, you'd come across a story in which a, a blind man was before Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees, they turned to Jesus and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus looked upon the blind man and he looked upon the Pharisees and the scribes and he says, neither one, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind that the work of God might be revealed, that the glory of God might be revealed. And Jesus orchestrated his healing. It is not always the case, according to Scripture, that serious illness is due to sin. But it can be the case. We looked last week at this topic of confession of sin. We're doing it again today, a little bit more in depth. Were you to read the latter part of 1 Corinthians 11, as we spoke about last week, as we took the Lord's Supper you'll notice that Paul was telling the Corinthian Christians that some of them were ill, sick, and some of them had even prematurely died because of their sin, because of their irreverence toward the Lord. In fact, Paul even, uh, uh, excuse me, John even suggests in 1 John chapter 5 that there is a sin that leads to death, which is to say there is a, a kind of uh, persistent activity by even a Christian believer, whom if they continue on, on and on in their sin, stubbornly, persistently, refusing to turn, refusing to confess, refusing to repent, 1 John 5, 16 and 17 says there's a sin that leads to death, physical death. Though he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire, Paul might say. Now some people hear what I'm speaking of now, and read the very scriptures that I'm attesting to and find this kind of teaching very hard to accept. But even medical science confirms what the Bible teaches. How often is your doctor telling you to lower your stress levels? How often is your doctor advising you to lower your emotional stress, to find a way to, to exercise better so that you might be able to cope with the emotions and the stress of life. My doctor says that to me. I'm sure your doctor says that to you. Why is that? Because emotional stress, emotional turmoil, things that are going on within us, they can negatively affect our health. Medical science confirms this. How much more so should we trust the Scriptures, which say that ongoing persistent sin can lead to serious illness, can even lead, in certain circumstances, to premature death. When, the, when stress and when emotions become unmanageable, a doctor will often prescribe for us medication. But James, James has another remedy. He has a deeper remedy, a spiritual remedy. He says, are you sick? Then confess your sins. Be honest with yourself, James says, when you become seriously ill. Ask yourself, am I in sin? Have I wronged someone? Am I holding on to a root of bitterness? Am I a, a, a busybody, always gossiping and, and escalating conflicts between people? 
Am I persistently lustful or rude or greedy or wrathful? James says illness, serious illness, is an especially appropriate time to consider one's sin. And when finding it, to confess it. In fact, he says your healing can often depend on it. Read again verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The command in verse 16 is inextricably tied to the context of illness. When you're seriously ill, confess your sins. Receive prayer. Why? That you may be healed. Many read verse 16 devoid of its context. I've heard pastors and teachers read, confess your sins to one another, completely out of context. In some cases, pastors and teachers have used James 5.16 to bring about massive gatherings, public displays of confession of sin in their churches or perhaps in a Christian university setting where I saw that take place at Biola. There was a, there was a professor at Biola who taught on James 5.16 and admonished the people to respond with massive public confession. People walking down the aisles, pouring out all their sins for all and sundry to hear. I heard, I, 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 I was not present at that gathering. My wife was. She says she heard things she never wanted to hear from those she knew. Is that what James is teaching in James 5.16? No. James 5.16 is tied to its context to use it as grounds for calling for massive public confession where people are airing out all their dirty laundry is a misappropriation of this verse. James is not calling all Christians everywhere to publicly announce their sins for all to hear. No, he is personally urging sick Christians to confess their sins to God and if they've sinned and offended another person, to go and make it right with them, confessing your trespasses to them, seeking forgiveness, ending your time together in prayer. That is to use James 5.16 in its proper context. And if we do these things, well, will we become healed? If we, if we carry this plan out, if we, if we become seriously ill, we call for the elders to, to anoint us and to pray over us and to call upon the Lord for healing. And if we, in our hearts, if we consider self-introspection and we look at our lives and we confess our sins to God, will we then be healed of our cancer? Will we then be healed of this, of this surgery? The, 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 the illness, this condition that's plagued us? Will we then be healed of an illness that we've held on to for months? Will we then finally be healed if we just follow this formula? The answer is not necessarily. Paul struggled his whole life with what he called a thorn in his flesh. Some scholars think that the Apostle Paul was battling physical blindness. But whatever the condition was, it continued to affect, uh, afflict Paul his entire life. He was certainly a man of great faith, a man who was very contrite toward his sin, 
And yet still, God allowed Paul to continue with a serious affliction. James 5.16 urges us to confess our sins that we may be healed, but the word may there is key. Notice the word may in verse 16, that you may be healed. Iathete in Greek. It suggests the possibility that it might happen, that you're laying the groundwork for it to happen, that you're preparing for it to happen, you're doing what God's asked you to do to make way for the healing. But it is not a guarantee of healing. It may occur, and it may not. The prayer of the elders is important. The confession of our sins is vital, but in the end, hearing healing only comes by the will of God. And if God should will that we remain in our condition, we, like Paul, must look up to heaven and say in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 12 that I will boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Confession and prayer when we are in serious illness, these things are instruments by which healing can come, but they are not the guarantor of healing. Prayer with confession puts us, however, in the best spiritual position to receive God's healing. Of course, the question for many of us is is a simple one, and it's one that I'd like to consider as we come to the last four verses of James. The question is, how do I know? On your outline at the end, toward the end there, how do I know if sin is impeding my health? or the health of those I love. How do I possibly know this, Lord? Okay, I've read your word. I see in 1 Corinthians 11 that there were some who were sick because of irreverence toward you, Lord. I see in James 5 that there are some who are seriously ill because they may have an outstanding uh, sin problem. I recognize, Lord, that in Your Word, it could be the case that my illness is perhaps in part a result of my sin. So how do I know? How do I know if this cancer is because of my sin? How do I know if this condition is because of my sin? How do I know if the cancer of a loved one is in part because of unconfessed sin. How do I know that a disease that a friend of mine has is perhaps in part because of unconfessed sin? It goes without saying that these are unbelievably sensitive matters. They require careful wisdom. And restraint is always first in order. I didn't turn to my son uh, the other day as he was uh, complaining of a sore throat and say, Now, Bennett, would you please explain to me the ways in which you've sinned against me and your mother? My son would have looked at me and said, Huh? 
What are you talking about, Dad? My throat hurts. I didn't walk up to my son and say, Son, it's clear to me that because you are ill, gravely ill, there must be some unconfessed sin in your life right now. Could you please own up to it? That's not how I treated my son. I did what any parent would do. I, I, you know, I assessed the situation. I sought wisdom from doctors. We, we gave appropriate remedies and medicines. We're praying for him. Do we, do we go as far as to say there must be unconfessed sin in my, son, my five-year-old son's life? That would be to jump the gun. We don't want to walk up to anyone and blast them with, well, you're sick because there's unconfessed sin in your life. That's why you're sick. You know, there are quite a few churches that would teach that. This is not one of them. Remembering John 9, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind, but that the glory of God might be revealed. And so we, we show restraint and careful wisdom as we assess the situation, both for ourselves when we're ill and for others when they're ill. Instead of jumping to the gun and suggesting that this person must necessarily be in sin, James has some words of wisdom for us. He says, instead, be a man or woman of prayer. Pray for the one whom you, whom you are concerned with. And he gives an example. Look at verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. What's his point here? Why is he randomly talking about this example of Elijah? Well, as you see in verse 18, Elijah's prayer for the nation of Israel often bore great fruit. In verse 18, fruitfulness and joy, the heavens gave rain. Likewise, likewise, James says, we should pray prayers of blessing, For those who are sick, Lord, would you bless my sick friend? Would you bring healing? Would you bring peace into his life? Would you bring nourishment and joy and restoration and healing back to him? We should pray prayers of blessing for those who are sick. And we do. But let's not jump over verse 17. Verse 17 also notes that Elijah's prayers for the nation of Israel at times affected physical drought in the nation, such that the people were compelled to turn to God for help. So perhaps your prayer for a beloved friend or family member might also include a statement like this. And Lord, I don't know if this is an issue or not, but Lord, if there is sin in their life, Would you please get their attention? Lord, would you please arrange the circumstances of their life such that they would be forced to turn to you and face their sin? Lord, I don't know if that's the case, but if it is, Lord, bring a dryness in their life that they might be forced and compelled to look up to you for help, to seek your face, to recognize their sin, and to turn from it. We pray prayers of blessing for those who are sick. And at the same time, if there is at all a concern in our heart, 
that perhaps this person is not responding to the Lord, that perhaps their, the, in part their illness, their persistent struggle in their health, physically, emotionally, is somehow tied to a refusal to let go of their sin, if we sense that, then pray that prayer. Say, God, awaken them. Awaken them if they need it, Lord. Awaken them to their sin. Make it known to them. And help them to be responsive to it. And if in the course of careful prayer and consideration of the one you love, you do feel strongly that they may have a sin issue that needs to be dealt with, then gently, gently, find a way to speak the truth in love to them. Elders should be especially attentive to this admonition as the Lord holds them responsible for the flock. But James also suggests that all Christians should consider helping a brother or sister stave off their sinful ways. We conclude with verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James says, look out for one another. We would be remiss as a congregation. We would be remiss as an elder board. I would be remiss as a pastor to never, ever bring up the possibility that the sickness that we now struggle with might be sin-related. Far be it from us never to speak about that but through careful prayer, wisdom, sensing what the Lord's will is. If we believe a brother or sister is battling emotional distress, physical suffering through sickness, and it's ongoing, and it's never-ending, and it's persistent, and it's not improving, and we have a sense through the wisdom of the Lord that this might be an issue in part due to sin, then let us look out for one another. And when one of us is in sin, let us lovingly admonish one another to confess our sin and seek forgiveness. When one of us is sick, let us pray a prayer of healing for them. When one of us is gravely ill, let the elders come to their home, anoint their head with oil, and pray for them. And all the while, if by chance, our healing checklist... It includes medicine, it includes prayer, but it it may just include that confession of sin. If by chance we sense that it does, what better time is there than to come upon a brother or sister who is dealing with ongoing distress and pull them aside and lovingly say, I love you, I care for you, and I just want to ask you, are you being open with the Lord? Are you being honest with Him? Is there anything you need to get right? You don't need to say it to me, but to the Lord. I just want to say to you, and I want to encourage you, and I'm doing this in my own life. I'm always trying to be mindful of my sin. And I know at times when I hold on to sin, it affects me. It affects me emotionally. 
It affects me physically. And so I just want to tell you, because I love you, if there's anything that, that you need to let go of, let it go. Give it to God. Confess it. When we're sick, we often sit in bed, we turn on the TV, we read magazines and books, and we just kind of waste away, don't we? But what better time is there when we're ill and in bed? What better time is there to, to partake in an honest evaluation of ourselves? So the next time you're ill, turn off the TV for a moment. Put down the novel you're reading and take a moment of pause with your Father in Heaven. Ask Him, Lord, do I need to make something right? Am I out of whack with You? Do I have unconfessed sin? God, have I done something against someone that I need to make it right? Lord, show me what that is, please. And friends, your open and honest dialogue with God coupled with the prayers of the elders and the saints, will help pave the way for your healing. We may or may not be physically healed. We may or may not be emotionally healed. But as we confess our sin, as we call for the prayer of the elders, we are giving God every opportunity to give us healing and peace. Consider the next time you're ill, taking a moment of pause with the Lord, taking stock of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a very sensitive matter. We've been dealing now a couple Sundays on the topic of confession and that it is to be a daily practice, God, in our lives that we learned last week. It's a daily spiritual discipline, God, that we are to be a confessional people, constantly seeking to restore harmony with You. Help us to be that, Lord. And God, when we're sick, I pray that we would especially be attentive to that admonition. For You've told us in Your Word, it's hard to accept, Lord, but we read it plainly, that there are times when we're ill, seriously ill, when sin is very much a part of that sickness. So God, I don't know what we have here today. I don't know what emotional sicknesses are among us. I don't know what physical illnesses plague some of those in our family today. But I do know, Lord, that illness of any kind is a time to pause, a time to take stock, not to waste away on the couch, but to speak to You openly and honestly about our lives. And Holy Spirit, if there's anything amiss, if there's anything awry that's causing the plague in our lives, help us to confess it. Help us to give it to You, knowing that You have arms wide open, Lord, ready and willing to forgive. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may we lay hold of that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.
before we uh, close with our hymn, I just wanted you to all stand. I feel like the Lord's just prompting me to sing this simple, this simple chorus. So just stand with me. It's going to be totally a cappella. My worship team doesn't know about it. But uh, as Neil just closed, I feel like the Lord's put a song on my heart. And it just goes like this, and you all know it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sing that again. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And cast me not away. And cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. Amen. Let's sing I Need Thee Every Hour as our closing hymn. It's hymn 638. And let's sing verses 1 through 3. And as we get to that last verse, I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. Let's realize that we do need a God in our life every minute, every second of the day. Let's close with this song. That's uh, hymn 638, 1 through 3. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour.
Well, from now on, if any of you are sick, we are going to treat you rather harshly in this church. No, that's not the point of this message at all. I can attest, though, that there have been at least a couple times in my life when I knew, I knew, without beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my illness was due to me holding on to a measure of sin. Holding on to bitterness in particular. And perhaps you know in your own life moments where you've been ill as a direct result of holding on to sin. The point in James 5 is be honest, be open. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. When you're suffering, identify it. Ask God for help. When you're sick, identify it. Recognize if there's sin in you. Be people of open, honest, transparent self-evaluation. And so that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge today for all of us. The next time we fall gravely ill, to consider, to inspect our lives. Or if we're currently battling something, to consider and, and call upon the elders for prayer. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to uh, you know, hold a, a high head above you and say, well, you must be sin. No, we're with you in this. We want everyone to confess their sins openly to the Lord and be healed. Amen? So this is really a, uh, an exhortation to be honest, to be open. And that's what we want to be, because the Lord knows it anyway. Thank you all for uh, uh, participating with us today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. And don't forget, tonight you are going to eat well. If you go to the beach tonight, chicken and kielbasa by Chef David, a devotion by Corey. It's going to be a great night. Five o'clock, join us at the beach. We would love to have you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for our family here at Coast. Thank you, Lord, that you're admonishing us to be an open and honest people, honest about our sin. And when we see it, confessing it to you, God, may you bring healing and peace into our lives as we do this very thing. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.